Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Today, I'd like to start with a question for you. How many of you have watched a television program, CSI? Or how about NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, right? Both represent these genres of crime and criminal behavior. Both have been on television for like 20 years. I don't know about you, but part of me when I watch these programs, I always kind of wonder, like, to what degree are they accurate, for one? And then also, too, what would it be like to actually have a role, be a special agent? Well, within the premise of this program, I have been endeavoring to find that answer out. And I got to say, it is not easy. It's not easy to find an agent that is, one, willing to talk about this, and then, two, getting clearance. But, I mean, as they say, persistence does pay off, and I was able to track one down. I have a guest on today, Laura Mertz. She's a special agent for the NCIS, again, Naval Criminal Investigative Service. She's involved with investigating felony-level fraud investigations, crime scene processing, counterintelligence, counterterrorism, insider threat management, and a bunch of other things. And we have this really engaging top lined up for you today where we cover you know some of those rules that I was just explaining then also some of the the other things you know things like you know we debunk what these shows present versus the actual reality of what they're all about and also too there's some elements that might surprise you that are fairly accurate in how the shows depict these professions beyond that we look at the profession itself in terms of the stresses the pressures and how somebody like Laura decompresses and and gets her way through we examine how her unlikely path led her to becoming a special agent. We look at also issues of technology, the role it plays as far as it being a you know, fairly helpful tool, but then also too a bit of a challenge for agents to, uh, to keep up with. And then finally too, we have this story and I'm just going to leave you with this. It involves Laura, a murder in Germany and uh, German authorities. And yeah, that's all I'm going to give you. It's super engaging and you're just going to have to tune in for it. So with all that in mind, let me more formally introduce you to Laura, and then uh, we'll welcome her to the show. So Laura Mertz is a special agent for the NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Armed with an undergrad from Columbia University and a master's degree in forensic science and technology from George Washington University, her roles and responsibilities stretch across a wide spectrum. Specifically, though, Laura plays a major role for the NCIS as far as being involved with felony-level fraud investigations, crime scene processing, as well as counterintelligence, counterterrorism, and insider threat management. Her career within the Naval Criminal Investigative Service has seen her hold posts for the U.S. military in Europe, Asia, and North America. And not to be overlooked, Laura's early career experiences also capture interest for many. She was CSI. Yeah, CSI, you know that TV show? Yeah, she was one of those, a crime scene investigator for the Wichita Police Department, involved in all aspects of that particular profession. And in 2012, she released an acclaimed book on her experiences as a CSI, which broke down many of the stereotypes portrayed by popular media. So with all that stated, Laura, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the program. Hey, how are you doing? 
I'm all right. Thank you. It's great to be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. I, before we do get started, I do understand that you uh, you do need to make a statement on your appearance based on you know the subject matter and, and what we're going to be speaking of. So I'll just you know throw it over to you really quickly here before we get going. Yeah, I just need to say that everything I'm saying is my own personal experience and beliefs. I'm not speaking on behalf of my agency or the United States government. Uh, this is all just my, my, my personal experience. Great. Okay. Well, why don't we uh, jump into it all right now? I do have the first segment actually lined up. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my listeners know, it's a segment basically where I just read off a definition of the guest profession of the work, sometimes their industry. I do it for a couple of reasons. One, it brings everybody up to speed who might be a little bit cloudy on the work itself. And also, too, I think it's interesting in the sense that, you know, based on different geographic regions or even cultures around the world, sometimes, you know, even personalities as well, I think we begin to own the jobs in a certain sense, and we put our own slant on things. So I think it's interesting to always hear it from the perspective of each guest. It might be a little bit different for two people holding the same position. So with that in mind, I do have you down here for course, Naval Criminal Investigative Services, NCIS. You know, I went with this broad sort of Wikipedia entry, and I'm going to forewarn you, it is very wordy, and I may stumble through this definition, but uh, I'll do my best. And then afterwards, maybe you comment. Sounds great. Naval Criminal Investigative Service, NCIS. The United States Naval Criminal Investigative Service, NCIS, is the primary law enforcement agency of the U.S. Department of the Navy. Its primary function is to investigate criminal activities involving the Navy and Marine Corps. Though its broad mandate includes national security, counterintelligence, counterterrorism, cyber warfare, and the protection of U.S. naval assets worldwide. NCIS is the successor organization to the former Naval Investigative Service, NIS, which was established by the Office of Naval Intelligence after the Second World War. One half of NCIS personnel are civilian, with the other half being special agents. NCIS agents are armed federal law enforcement investigators who frequently coordinate with other U.S. government agencies and have a presence in more than 41 countries and on U.S. Navy vessels. NCIS special agents are supported by analysts and other experts skilled in disciplines such as forensics, surveillance, surveillance countermeasures, computer investigations, physical security, and polygraph examinations. Whew, it is a mouthful, and I mostly got through it, stumbled a little bit. But uh, yeah, first take, what do you think of that? I, I do think it's very wordy, and, and it's very broad, but that's kind of indicative of the agency itself and the mission. We cover criminal investigations, we cover counterterrorism and counterintelligence. Uh, we've got all these different specialties. Uh, and really, it's a, it's not a large agency. You know, we we always joke, the FBI has more agents in New York City than we have worldwide. So, you know, when you're covering the, the globe, you do tend to become jacks of all trades. Would there be anything that you'd like to add to the definition or maybe even de-emphasized? Well, I do think that um, oftentimes people will get confused about the term civilian because we work for the military. So we're basically almost all of us are not military members. We are not we don't have ranks, that kind of thing. And so in my line of work, we refer to ourselves always as civilians, but we've got the sworn law enforcement part. And then we also have the, the analysts and, you know, the, the administrative folks and, and the specialists who support us. Okay. So it's kind of different definitions of civilian. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Cause I think like, yeah, in the definition here, it's like, well, one half of personnel are civilian and the other half being special agents and you, right. you are a special agent, but then what you're saying is that you also consider yourself within that context of still being a civilian rather than part of the military. Is that 
Correct. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't wear uniforms. We don't salute. Um, and so it's important to have that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you put that in there. Okay. Well, I, I do understand, you know, in, in preparing for this talk and some of the information that you supplied beforehand that your primary responsibilities are split between two areas, mainly criminal and fraud investigations, and then threat management unit. And they sound, at least to me, very different in terms of what you'd be looking at, what you'd be involved in. But maybe you could break that down for us lightly. You know, what, what types of roles and responsibilities do both of those areas, you know, demand of you? So, yeah, I mean, criminal investigations and fraud, I mean, that that's, you know, if you watch any sort of crime TV show, right, of police department, so you're going to be dealing with sexual assaults or murder or and with fraud, it can be everything from contract fraud to, you know, just payroll fraud. Right. So it, it depends on, you know, what comes in the door that day. The threat management unit, we joke around that it's the, the future crimes uh, unit. <laughs> and so <laughs> the idea is, can you identify someone who may become a threat, an insider threat, an active shooter, and they haven't done anything yet. So obviously we're not arresting them. We're not trying to do anything punitive, but can we figure out what the stresses are in their life? What's going on? And can we mitigate that? Mm. Can, you know, if someone is having a problem with a supervisor, can they be moved to a different to a different unit, not as a punitive measure, but to make their life easier. Mm. Um, you know, if they're having trouble working nights, can they move to a daytime shift? That kind of thing. Anything that we can to sort of ease the burden on the person yeah. so that we don't have a major incident you know, stemming from them. Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, it was just striking me as like this this hybrid between like, I don't know, like, like it's almost like HR, <laughs> HR you know, in a way, right? But also like with this like umbrella of like, well, this could get dangerous if we don't do something. So you're trying to like almost, at least this is the way I'm taking it, like analyze this person's situation, maybe more so than the, what they're doing right now as well. And trying to, to project, well, if we do this, maybe things could calm down. But, you know, I, I don't know if I'm on anything there, but it sounded like, you know, in this, this sort of perverse sort of world where, yeah, you have these dual responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's sort of a cross between law enforcement and psychology, sociology. Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to get there. Yeah, that's what. Was... Yeah, to to really get in the um, sort of figure out what's going on in their life and can can we improve that? And and I think the that the military does a pretty good job of having resources available for folks. You know, so if they're having financial stress, hey, there's financial planners available. You know, can we get them in an anger management course? something to, to help. And so that way they can continue working and continue being productive. And we can sort of all sleep a little easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quick question with that. I mean, do these people who are being observed or being, you know, trying to, to be assisted or, or helped, are these people aware of your involvement? Or is this kind of in behind the scenes where... It depends on on the case. Uh, sometimes, you know, if a report comes in and, and we have, you know, we have enough talking to someone's supervisor or, or coworkers, the person reporting it, you know, we might be able to suggest they make changes and they never know we're involved. You know, uh, other times, you know, we might bring them in and talk to them and be like, hey, you know, people have expressed some concerns, like what's going on? Like, you know, and, and that has to be done in a very delicate manner because whenever anyone's brought into NCIS, like, am I in trouble? Right, right. <laughs> no, no, yeah. in trouble. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, we don't want to add more stress to their lives by, you know, by being involved. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Well, it sounds like to me, I mean, between those two responsibilities, those two sort of 
units that you're part of, you would see a wide array of, of different cases, a wide array of different situations and be involved in a lot of different types of activities. And uh, from having a number of guests on this program like that, to me, and what I've heard is like that adds to the level of satisfaction with the job and reward. I mean, you're, you're constantly being like stretched and pulled in a lot of different directions. And although that can be stressful at times, it can also you know, help add some, you know, intrigue to the work that you're doing. Would you say that's accurate for you and in your work? Oh, definitely. You know, I've, I've worked all different kinds of cases and especially with NCIS, you can be in a large office where you have like 50 or 60 agents uh, there. And so you end up focusing on one particular area, but then you can also be in a small office, one or two people. And so you have to handle whatever comes in the door. Uh, and, and some of those times that, you know, you have to sort of white knuckle your way through it and go, oh, I don't know how to do this. Uh, and so there's some frantic phone calls to some experts, right. but yeah, but it, it does, the variety makes it, uh, you know, a really interesting career. Mm, it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in terms of like your daily, weekly routines, like, do you have such a thing or is it based on what you're just sharing there that you never know what you're going to get. You never know what's going to be on your plate or, you know what I mean? Or, or is there like a certain structure, procedural structure in place that sort of gives that, that element of, uh, of routine to, to your work? I wouldn't say routine. You certainly have days and even weeks where it's a lot of paperwork because the, the TV shows don't show that, you know, you have to write reports. <laughs> the ultimate goal is either that commands understand what's going on or that it, it ends up in court. And so you have to have the reports, you have to document you know, everything that you do. You know, I spent uh, two days ago, I spent a long time on YouTube learning pivot tables for Excel. And I'm thinking, oh, the glamorous life of a federal agent <laughs> watching videos of, of pivot tables. So, you know, um, so you have days like that. And then you also have days where you get a phone call and, and they say, hey, we have to go to Greece right now because someone died and we don't have anyone there. So, OK, I'm going to pack my bag, get on a plane and wow. fly to Greece. <laughs> yeah, that certainly would uh, would throw a wrench in things, I suppose, at times, but in, but in a good way, maybe, you know, I mean, considering outside of what like the reason is for it. I mean, the, the element of your job and what you're doing does provide that that opportunity to, to mix things up. and. Again, referencing a lot of the guests on my program, that that's something that a lot of them come to enjoy, you know, and, and derive a lot of satisfaction from. So it sounds like it could be the case for you too here, in in that sense, maybe. Yeah, I, I I knew I was never going to really be someone who could fit in with a job where you're doing the same exact thing every day. You know, I've done summer jobs in in high school of data entry and. You know, it was fine for a summer job, but not something that I, I was going to be able to make a career. Well, speaking of that, speaking of the past, maybe you could uh, slide into a new segment here, something called a pathway segment. And uh, this is a segment basically where I, I put it in the last couple of months to kind of highlight this notion of how a lot of professionals don't necessarily follow this straight line. They don't beeline to the end goal of where they've ended up in their career. There's been, you know, some left hand turns, some zigging, zagging, so on and so forth. And uh, I'd be curious to hear, you know, a bit of your backstory, you know, how you ended up where you are right now. Oh, by accident. Um, absolutely. Yeah, you, you fit in that bucket. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the real story is that Columbia University, where I went to college, did not accept AP credit. And I was bound and determined to never take another math class. I, I had, you know, I had done calculus. I, I did very well in my AP exams. And I thought, aha, I'm done. And then Columbia said, oh, we don't accept AP credit. So 
there was a math science requirement at Columbia. And I said, okay, what science class has no math or very little math involved? (laughs) And um, it turns out it was forensic anthropology. And I really loved forensic anthropology. I had no idea that I would love it, but, you know, human skeletal anatomy, human skeletal morphology. And I ended up with this accidental minor in forensic anthropology because I took every single class (laughs) and they offered on it um, and physical anthropology. So, you know, I went to college with the goal of being the first American woman to be asked to join the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I realized I'm not a great actress. So probably that dream was <laughs> not going to happen. And so, you know, I, my, my advisor said, well, look, you love, you love forensic anthropology. Why not look into forensic science? And I said, okay, sure. I can, I can do that. Yeah. Slightly different path, and, I might add. It's slightly different than what yes. the dream is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, to keep to my roots, I do have a little plastic skull on my desk, and I've named it York. So, uh, <laughs> okay. so Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Okay, it's, it's still um, part of your life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, and and then I went to grad school for forensic science, and NCIS recruits from that graduate program for forensic scientists, and I interviewed with them. I interned with them, and they said, "Well, great, you know, you're a good candidate, but you don't really have a lot of work experience." So that's when I. When, and I became a crime scene investigator for a local police department in Kansas for a bit. And then NCS called okay. a year and a half later and said, hey, would you like to be an agent now? Wow. I mean, it fits perfectly in what I was just speaking of, you know, like the, these career paths that it, they're, they're tough to foresee. You know, again, it's so rare where these people have this vision like this is exactly where I want to end up especially within their youth, maybe in their teens or, or even younger. And they actually go and just follow that straight line like yours perfectly fits into that other bucket where it's just a little of serendipity, a little bit of exposure to this idea, that opportunity, and, and there you go. And uh, you know, I'm- Yeah, and, and I'm old. So this was before the CSI TV show came out, before the NCIS TV. I had never heard of NCIS. I didn't right. really know what CSI was uh, when I started. Yeah. So, Wait, yeah. Did you have like any, I don't know if you can recollect or not, but like, did, do you have any like, an interest in your youth? in societal deviance like was that a thing like for example crime shows not those ones per se but like that genre like was that something that you were interested in or yeah i certainly read a lot of agatha christie novels when i was a kid <laughs> i don't know if that counts or not <laughs> yeah, we, we can make that count why not <laughs> um yeah but no i i really did not have you know any sort of, of background in it of course there's always police shows on television yeah, right. and I- I, you know, I had seen Law and Order, but it wasn't ever anything that I had considered for a career, for a job. You know, I think my father is very relieved about all this. He was afraid he was going to support me for the rest of my life as I tried to be an actress. Uh, so. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's really interesting how you did end up there and uh, yeah, built a thriving career, most definitely. Well, maybe we go into this other segment of Q&A discovery and kind of just continue this back and forth. And, you know, we've already drawn reference to this already a little bit here, but uh, I, I thought it'd be worthwhile to kind of debunk some of these uh, media perceptions or, you know, views of what these jobs are all about. I understand like when you're working for as a CSI for that, uh, that police department, you actually wrote a book, you know, based on debunking a lot of the myths related to the work of a CSI. And uh, I was thinking maybe we could, you know, shift that on over into NCIS, you know, the, certainly there's been a show based on that for almost mm-hmm. what running for 20 years and some spinoffs as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, many spinoffs. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's certainly a lot of 
I think, built up perceptions of what that work is all about. We, we already know from what you've shared about Excel and uh, Excel entries and learning the, the finer details of that. That's one element in the paperwork, but uh, maybe there's a few more things as well that you'd like to, uh, to add to that. Oh, I think the biggest difference uh, with a TV show versus real life is the TV show, for obviously for Hollywood reasons and for the ease of viewers, you have an entire team of people working on a single case each week. Uh, and that is just simply never going to be the case. You know, if you are in a busy office at NCS, you may have 30 investigations going on at any given time. And so things will obviously take a lot longer because if you work on one case a day and you have 30 cases, it's going to be 30 days before you get back to that first one again. So ha- having that that team of people, yes, we, we certainly can surge people if there's something major that happens. But for most criminal investigations that come in the door, you as the case agent are going to be working that mostly by yourself, maybe with the support of one other person part you know, part of the time because they have their own cases to work. Yeah. So so that's, I think, probably the the, the biggest thing. I, I do remember my mom calling me after the first NCIS episode and she said, oh, they're stealing the, the Air Force One to take a body from the FBI because they're asserting jurisdiction. <laughs> I thought, oh, mom, the Secret Service would shoot me before I got near Air Force One. <laughs> In terms of, I guess, even the length of some of these, like, or the, the amount of time that you're able to devote to one particular case, certainly it's going to vary based on the severity of it and, and you know, the significance of it. But generally speaking, like how long would, would, would a case, you know, go? It really does depend. You know, it's it, it, so many people ask me that. How long does an investigation take? You know, people who are reporting a crime, they've been a victim of a crime. How long is this going to take? And I wish I could give them an answer, but the the truth is, if we have to send things out for lab work, you know, the the, the lab handles everything from all of NCIS and all of the military, really. So the Air Force, the Army. So it can be months before we get results back. And then, of course, in fraud investigations, uh, there, there's that TV show for for homicides. Forty eight hours. They say if you if you don't know who's done it in forty eight hours, you probably won't catch the killer. So the first forty eight hours are the most important. And for fraud, we joke and we say, oh, the first 48 months are the most important for fraud. If you can't catch them in the first 48 months, then you're probably not going to get them. Okay, okay. This other question here too, I mean, in terms of the amount of investigations that you have ongoing at the same time, you on your plate at once, like what, what would that be like? Yeah, so I've never in 19 years with NCS had only one case going on at the same time. So, you know, it's it's a constant uh, constant time management mm. issue uh, of, um, okay, I have this case that I'm working on right now this morning, but then I have this person coming in for an interrogation in the afternoon on this different case. And then I'm going to be working with a contracting officer, you know, uh, to understand this contract fraud. I, I live in Japan, and so oftentimes they're somewhere else in, in the United States. So I'll be up very early or very late talking to them. It, it's a very much a time management uh, struggle. A lot of like being pulled in this direction or that direction, I would assume as well, it sounds like. I mean, that, that could be demanding. But again, returning to that point, a bit of positivity, I mean, that, that sort of adds a bit of intrigue to your work too. I mean, you're, you're constantly on your toes. And uh, again, it's probably a lot of stress at different points, but you know, some benefits as well to that. As far as this definition of, or this perception rather, of the the program, the, the you know how the media portrays it, is there anything that that is spot on? They're like, yeah, they they're doing a pretty good job of representing this aspect, this particular one. Is there anything there? So I think that um, you know the shows are pretty good about 
showing camaraderie and, 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 you know, people, as soon as something comes in, you know, everyone's going to like grab their jacket. Okay, let's go, let's help. And, and I think the show does a really good job of that, that the TV show portrays that pretty well. And then also, you know, the, the dedication of the people that, you know, everyone that I've ever worked with, we all believe in, in this mission of, you know, protecting the United States, defending the constitution, and then also, you know, basically protecting the, the military folks and, and, and figuring out what really is going on with any particular report. So I think in that personal aspect, the show does a really good job. Well, I do have this other question here too for you, Laura, and it's, you know, I was curious about this when I was putting this outline together, like to what degree would you say this work demands a certain character or a certain type of individual? You know, I'd be curious about that a little bit. Uh, so we come from all different backgrounds and, and all different skill sets. And I can't say that there's any one particular trait other than critical thinking skills. You know, if you're going to do this job, you have to have good critical thinking and be, because your goal is to find the truth. A report comes in and, and you have to figure out what really happened. So, you know, we have people who come from a military background or from a law enforcement background, but then you have people like me where, you know, I was an English major. <laughs> no one's paying me to recite Shakespeare, but, you know, I had a lot of good analytical skills from that. Uh, we had someone from a few classes after mine in, in training who was coming as a circus contortionist and she was joining as part of, she was joining us as part of our um, surveillance team because she could get into spots that most other people couldn't. Really? <laughs> and really? I mean, that one, so, wow, I was not expecting to hear something like that, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, people come from all different backgrounds and, and you know, I, there's so many specialties within as well. So people who have expertise in computers or language skills, you know, a, there's a lot of type A personalities in, in law enforcement. I am not one of those. I am, you know, much more of a like, okay, let's, let's analyze this, think about this, sit down, talk about our feelings. <laughs> so <laughs> agent, you know, we, we joke that I'm not the one who breaks down doors. I would bounce off them. Uh, so, so we, yeah, I, I, you can come from all different backgrounds, but the, the important thing is, you know, that you understand the mission and you understand the reason, the reason why you're doing this. What, what would you say to this idea? I mean, the, the job changing you in some respects, you know, you, you came into it in this form or, you know, viewing the world this way or with this particular set of skills. But, you know, after having done it for this amount of time, you've shifted, changed, you know, for the better, maybe, maybe for the worse in some respects, you know, from the work itself. What would you say to that? So I do think it's very easy to get jaded in, in this, this line of work. And it's something that you need to work very hard at to sort of fight that, uh, fight that tendency to, to remember that every new case that comes in is new for the person who's reporting it. And so, so I do think that it is something that I work on constantly. Uh, and I think that a lot of, a lot of agents do because you don't want to, Expressed to someone who's coming in and reporting a crime that this is routine for you, or, or maybe give the impression that it's not as important because it's important to them. So I, I do think that in that respect, you know, you, you you have to sort of fight against that. And you know, I think the other thing too is I've just I've learned so many different skill sets. You know, I came in as a forensic person. Now I'm I'm a certified fraud examiner. Never thought that would have happened in a million. I deal with math a lot now and pivot tables. <laughs> that was never my goal. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that that definitely sort of fills in some of the blanks there. Definitely. As far as I guess, I mean, the job itself too. I have this perception of it. Of certainly, you know, being stressful at times. Again, based on some of the work that you are involved with, you know, maybe you could talk to me about that a little bit. I mean, in terms of the skills of compartmentalizing, maybe and managing stress and and some of the pressures that have come associated with the type of work that you do. It can be very stressful. Uh, law enforcement can can be very stressful, and you know, there's there's a lot of mental mental strain. I did five years doing undercover online child pornography operations, uh, and so the, the things that you have to see and the things that you know you have to you have to watch because you have to testify in court as to yes, I, I yes I viewed this. Yes, this is child pornography. You know, I am a very loud and proud advocate of therapy. <laughs> So I have a great therapist. I think it's very important. There can be a lot of stigma about therapy with law enforcement and the military. People worried it will affect your security clearance. But I think in when I first started 19 years ago, I think there was a lot more stigma surrounding it. Now, there has been this very concerted effort and push by the military, but also by my agency and my director to really kind of open up the idea that yes, wellness is important. Therapy is important. You won't be jeopardizing your career if you seek help. And, and I think it's so important because, you know, you have the stereotype of the, the police officers who will just go and drink, you know, the, the cop bar, you just go and, and you go drink every night and sort of numb yourself that way. And so for me, you know, I have a great therapist. Uh, she helps me work through things. And also I was an English major. So I write, you know, as, as part of, part of that there. Well, that's definitely encouraging to hear. I mean, it would seem at least within the last, I don't know, three, five, seven years or so that there has been this shift, this, this, this more awareness of these issues and, and openness towards them. You know, it, it's okay to be sharing it. It's okay to seek help. It's okay to, to you know, engage yourself with some self-care you know, from time to time, especially with, you know, a line of work that you're involved with what you were just describing there. I mean, it would certainly make sense to be doing that. So it is encouraging to hear that it is that that movement is infiltrating that sort of, you know, area of work as well uh, within the, the military and within uh, your unit. I do have this other question here I would like to shift on over. And, uh, you know, when I was a university student, I was a sociology grad. So I did take some, uh, some undergrad courses on criminology and then social deviance and whatnot. And the one thing I do remember from that time, it was quite some time ago now, was that this idea of each generation coming through is assuming that their generation is the worst in terms of crime. Crime is on the rise. Well, in fact, the reality, at least at that time, 20 years ago, I guess, crime, a lot of different types of crime were actually on the decline, despite public awareness or perceptions of it being the opposite. And uh, I'd be curious about, you know, that aspect in terms of how the work that you're involved with, what you're seeing you know, maybe certain types of crime maybe are on the decline, despite the perception of the media, whereas other types of crime maybe are actually increasing. Maybe you could set the record straight for us a little bit on, on issues relating to that. Well, I, I certainly think that there's a, a public perception of, of crime being committed by strange, like violent crime being committed by strangers as being on the rise or being prevalent. And that hasn't been my experience, uh, you know, for, throughout my career. Like generally, it has been crime committed by someone the victim knew, by a trusted friend or a loved one or you know, just a coworker. But they they didn't know the person. So you know, I do think that um, that crime committed by strangers is a lot rarer than is portrayed uh, in in the news media. 
or at least that's been my experience. Now, uh, when it comes to fraud, you know, there's a lot of government money being thrown around. I think fraud is sort of always, always present. So I don't think there's been any increase or decrease in, in that anytime you have a lot of money and a lot of different contracts, uh, th- there is going to be some of that. But, you know, and, and we have analysts who look at the numbers. So I would need to defer to them as the experts. But even if there is an increase, the question is always, is there an increase because people are more comfortable reporting? Or is there an increase because there's more crime being committed? So, uh, you know, I, I think to dig down into that is something that analysts and, and sociologists and psychologists are are still struggling with. You know, you have anonymous surveys to say, you know, have you been a victim of a sexual assault to try to get try to get numbers and figure out how many are reporting, how many are not. But I do feel like people are more comfortable reporting those kinds of crimes now than they were certainly when I started. Okay. Well, you could shift on over into a, a different area of work that you're involved with, which, you know, threat management unit, I would assume this falls under, you know, terror threats. And then there is this morbid fascination, I would say, you know, for this type of criminal activity and for obvious reasons. I mean, there's been some, you know, pretty terrible things that have occurred for, you know, across human history. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be curious to hear your take on that aspect of your job, you know, as far as whether there has been an uptick on that or whether there's just, you know, more emphasis and uh, attention brought upon issues relating to that. Maybe you could uh, fill us in a little bit on that point. Well, I do think that anytime there's an attack of that nature, you have an immediate media frenzy. And so so it it gets a lot of headlines and it may get a lot of headlines for a long period of time. Now, when something happens, obviously we will surge agents from all over the place to, and and it's not just us. If there's a terror attack happening, it's going, the FBI is going to be involved. ATF is going to be involved. It's, It's never just one agency. You need everyone to kind of pull together for that. Uh, but it, yeah, and it is it is very stressful <laughs> when, when those imagine, kinds of yeah. investigations, you know, because not only are you doing your best to make sure that everything is investigated thoroughly, but you also obviously have a spotlight from, you know, everyone in the government wants answers immediately, the media wants answers immediately. And so, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, I'm going to sift through all of this debris of try to find evidence and it's going to take four days and then well okay well in three hours can we do a press conference (laughs) (laughs) well i I may or may not have answers for you right 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 so yeah it, it 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 is a very stressful time for i think everyone involved but the idea is you have to block you do have to compartmentalize and sort of block that out okay this is my job I am going to go through i have you know i have the training for it you know i've done post blast you know, scene work. So I, you know, we're going to be looking for certain pieces of evidence, or we're going to be checking social media to figure out who, who was involved in this, who their person's contacts are, and then fan out and start interviewing folks. So, you know, there's, in those kinds of situations, you're never going to be working by yourself. And the agency isn't going to be working by itself. There's going to be multiple partners. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the amount of time that you're devoting to that type of investigation these days, would you say there's been a significant uptick or is that, again, just a media sensationalism sort of? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that for me personally, you know, well, I'm stationed in Japan, so we haven't had a number of, of, of attacks of that nature out here. And so for for me personally, I haven't had to deal with that for, for quite some time. 
you know, there are other NCS agents who sit on counterterrorism task forces with other agencies. And so their time is almost exclusively devoted to those kinds of investigations. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not something I deal mostly with, I think, more uh, insider threats. So, you know, they, there could be a terrorist attack by someone who's already within the military. But, but that's, you know, I think the sensationalist ones too tend to be the external attacks. Okay. I see. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, uh, I, I think this conversation to this point, it's painting this this really nice picture of the the work that you do in terms of, of you know a number of different angles, basically here. And I think it's really helpful to to a lot of people that are maybe a considering this line of work, but then two, maybe we're just tuning in just for the the, the sheer interest in, in it. You know, again, how it's portrayed within the media is one thing, but uh, to live it and work it is another. Which leads me into this last question within this segment, and uh, I'd be curious, you know, maybe we could go pie in the sky here a little bit, but like, what what is this profession, this line of work, come to mean to you over the amount of time that you've spent within it? So that that, that is a somewhat difficult question, <laughs> very philosophical. Uh, but I, I mean, at, at the core, when I joined, when I started in in law enforcement, you know, one of the things that I was looking at was um, that the fact that the news stories were about untested rape kits and that things were not being investigated thoroughly, you know, sort of in the, in the nineties, early two thousands. And so I, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I can, I can make sure that things are investigated properly. Things are, are, you know, rape kits will be tested. At least I can control that, that piece of it for my investigations. And that has been kind of the core throughout is how do I best help and 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 serve the you know the men and women who you know sign up to to fight and defend the united states uh, and so I, I try to keep that kind of in the forefront of my mind and even in fraud investigations it's you know it's not just taxpayer dollars it's a matter of are we getting proper night vision goggles or are those goggles going to fail on the battlefield and put people's lives in danger so you know, at the core of it, it's about making sure that the people, I mean, these are 18, 19 year old kids who are signing up to to fight. And so to make sure and do what I can to help protect them and make sure they have what they need. So that that's that's kind of always been at the the forefront of, of my philosophy. I, I thank you for, for trying to answer that. And I think you did a, a really nice job of putting it out there because I think like oftentimes like people will sort of examine these jobs from a nuts and bolts perspective of like, okay, these are the roles and responsibilities that I need to fulfill. But they almost in a sense, can distance themselves from what that actually means within their own lives, you know, and, and the, the meaning that could be derived from that or the satisfaction that could be derived from that. So I often like to, you know, to throw in these questions from time to time that, that, that go a little bit deeper, but also provide this sort of different view and vantage point of what the work you could mean for an individual. And uh, yeah, it was, it was nice of you to share that. So thanks. But maybe we could shift into this other middle segment, a water cooler story segment. And here I just ask uh, guests to indulge listeners with a story related to their profession. And uh, I'm really eager to hear what you have for us today, Laura. I guess the, the, the short version is I, I am still a little concerned that I might be on a watch list in Germany. Um, but <laughs> I'm liking how this is setting up, but uh, yeah, continue. <laughs> uh, so I, I was stationed in, in Italy and as a forensics person, um, we had we had a, a murder case up in Germany and they they sent me up to to assist with that. 
And so it, it was an Air Force case for the most part, but the Navy was involved. And so I went up and I landed in Germany. And of course, the Air Force agents were already joking because, you know, there's the NCS TV show. There had been a press conference where, you know, someone at my headquarters had said, oh, we're sending a task force. And so I get off the airplane and they're like, oh, hey, it's the task force. <laughs> and, um, uh, and and so we're there processing the the, the crime scene. And yeah, you know, I had this this moment of, of realization uh, where I realized that the cleaner that the individual used to clean up the scene and, and cover up the murder wasn't really a great cleaner and we could still use luminol and we could see the blood trail. And, and sure enough, you know, we turn the lights out, you spray the luminol and, you know, blue streak lit up. Aha, you know, like this, this is where they dragged the body away. And so you have this very odd dichotomy of emotion where you have this, aha, I've got you you know, and the sort of elation. And then also the sort of sickening realization of this is where a young man, you know, lost his life. Yeah. And so, you know, but you try to ride that high of at least I can help get justice for the person. And, and so like, I'm, I'm heading back home. I have done my crime scene and uh, German authorities pull me aside um, at the airport and, and going through security. And suddenly I'm in a tiny interrogation room because I had set off their radiation detectors. Uh, luminol is slightly radioactive. And so now I have to try to explain to German authorities uh, that I was not skulking around their nuclear sites. Um, and so uh, they don't care about my badge or my credentials. Like this is a foreign country. Right, so, right. so I'm trying to explain, okay, have you seen the NCS TV show, Mark Harmon, the blank expressions. And so, uh, you know, desperation, I was like, okay, CSI. And, and the man's face lit up. He's like, oh, CSI Grissom. I love Grissom. I was like, yes, yes, I am Grissom for the Navy. <laughs> to explain. Uh, and so, you know, eventually, like, so he made some phone calls and I don't speak German. I don't know what he said, uh, but I did hear the name Grissom a few times. So <laughs> I'm assuming that it was all explained and they did let me go eventually after about like an hour in the yeah, interrogation yeah. room. <laughs> well, quite so, but I was thinking they don't really train you for this. Like this never came up in any of my training. Yeah. What do you do with the German authorities? They Grissom, been, like, Grissom. You, you just you just have to drop that name a few times over. Harmon as well, perhaps. They should have a little uh, you know segment within the training. If you do run into issues overseas, that you know here are your fallback options. <laughs> if Harmon doesn't yes. work, yes, please uh, make reference to uh, to Grissom. Yes. So. Um, <laughs> So as much as I like to debunk CSI, I am incredibly grateful to the TV show that I'm not on any kind of list right now. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I mean, that, that might uh, make its way into the uh, my, my, my life as a Hall of Fame uh, water cooler story segment. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we're just blowing through the sock here, uh, Laura, and I'm really enjoying it. You know, I'm sure listeners are as well. And uh, I do want to go into this last segment here, a crystal ball segment. And uh, as the name implies, you know, we're, we're usually looking forward to the future, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And it would seem to me, I mean, that technology is a big part of your job, you know, certainly in terms of the tools, maybe that you're using at different points and maybe what the tools or, or things that, you know, some of these bad actors are also engaging in, maybe within fraud and, you know, new software and whatnot. So I'm guessing there's like this cat and mouse game that's back and forth, perhaps at least. But I'd be curious about, you know, your perspective or your take on this, you know, the, the role of technology, perhaps on your side, but then also you guys trying to catch up to what some of these, you know, individuals are doing to take advantage of, of others or the system. 
Yeah, you do have to have a bit of a, of a crystal ball, especially with you know, technology and, and how things are being used, because you know, back in what, 2007 or whenever Bitcoin first came out, like I don't think anyone really predicted that cryptocurrency was going to be the methodology of choice for people to launder money and and to work in, and to commit their fraud schemes. And of course, now a Bitcoin is worth $10,000 or more. And so it, suddenly it, it's a viable method for for hiding money and for you know for laundering money. So so in fraud, cryptocurrency has suddenly become one of the the things that we're looking at. NFTs are the same way. So you do have to have sort of a, a constant constant new training on all the different technologies, all the different ways people could commit fraud. One of the things that I think is going to be big in the coming years is deep fake technology. Uh, so and we and we saw the beginning of I think massive fraud schemes when or or not really the beginning of massive fraud schemes, but the possibility of it when Twitter uh, rolled out this verified system and the blue checkmark system and people started impersonating brands, and so you had someone from you know pretend with a blue checkmark to be Eli Lilly and say we're giving away insulin for free, like we're not going to charge for insulin anymore, and suddenly Eli Lilly's stock just plummeted off of that. And so if you had someone who was doing deep fake technology or, or impersonation, they could very easily do market manipulation. And again, you know, on the one hand, you have people say, oh, well, it's it's the stock market, who cares? But you have teachers' pensions that are invested. Lives, in yeah. There are, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, small business owners who, who are invested. In, and so it really affects their life. The retirement. So, you know, I always try to bring it to a, a personal level and to to sort of put everything in perspective. But I so I, I think that deep fake technology is going to be one of our, our biggest challenges in, in the coming years. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a tricky one to even consider how I don't know how maybe maybe there's gonna be software that's gonna be able to detect to detect it. I, I I don't know, but yeah, definitely. I mean that that's certainly the way you just spelled it out is a threat of you know, significant magnitude, no doubt, for what it could mean to a lot of people, and uh, and and make your lives, people like yourself, the, the trying to find out whether this is accurate or not, quite challenging to say the least. You know, and then then also too, I, I suppose you know this whole rise of AI, and you know, recently, I mean, every single episode that I've had in the last two months, I think, is always tracking back to Chat GPT, <laughs> like how that's going to yeah. be you know, leveraged as well, but, but on both sides, perhaps, you know, I mean, there, there's going to be some give and take there where, you know, people like yourself can. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of, we have a lot of technological tools to, to help us and to, to sort through sort of the, the wheat from the chaff uh, in terms of what's important, what's not can, you know, we, we can be on the dark web, you know, searching for things as well. So we have a lot of, of tools for that. I think in the future, we're going to have to have less of a separation between the folks who are cyber experts and sort of the, the rank and file, you know, foot agents, the street agents, because every agent is going to have to be conversant in, you know, in, in the, the cyber realm. You know, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens with the metaverse, you know, and I'm also a little bit relieved that I'm coming to the end of my career. And so, you know, hopefully I won't be dealing with that as much. It's going to be the, the next generation of folks. But I do see that. I see the younger agents coming on who are much more savvy than I am. And, and I do try to keep up to date. So, yeah, that's a really good point, though. You, you, I think you're spot on with that, at least from an outsider's perspective. It's going to become just like a 
part and parcel of that job is you're going to have to be coming in with a baseline of understanding, you know, of these elements and, and how they can be used in a, from a nefarious standpoint or, you know, leverage to, to help, you know, root out some of these individuals or, or actions that they're involved with. So yeah, I think it's a really uh, you know, interesting point to kind of look at it all from. Um, I do have this very last question here. Actually, maybe a question, I don't know, observation, but, um, you know, again, returning to your work in the past, you know, as a CSI, you did have a book that came out. I think it was, was it 2012? Was that in my life? Yeah, 2012. Yeah, Bunny Suits of Death, Tales of a CSI. And uh, I lightly spoke of it already in terms of, you know, you sharing your your recollections and your background during that year, year and a half or so for the Wichita Police Department. And there within the book, I mean, there was a lot of you know, wonderful reviews and uh, a lot of people, when I was researching for this talk, just to get a kind of broad perspective on you and your background, a lot of people in the comments were, were praising the work for one, but then two were like, oh, please, please, like, when is the NCIS book going to come out? Like, we, we want the inside look at what that line of work is, is all about. So, uh, you know, I'd be curious whether or not you'd like to comment on that. Is there any possibility of, uh, of some of your fans getting a, a look at this work down the line? Well, I, you know, I have plenty of stories uh, from the career, uh, so it, it probably would have to wait until until I retire. But but yeah, but I, I have been storing them up. So so, yeah. And I'm again, you can retire after 20 years. I've been on 19. So, you know, I'm 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 going I'm going for another five or so. But, you know, probably what I so I'll retire on a on a Friday, Monday, the book will come out something along those lines. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, well, in the meantime, I guess for those five years or so, they're just going to have to keep replaying this episode, this podcast episode, perhaps, and uh, going over these stories. So, yeah, I- I'm fine by that as well, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Laura, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure and I can't believe we've blown through this talk. It's uh, I felt like we just got started here, but I think that speaks to the point of it, you know, being really interesting and, and engaging. And, uh, you know, I thank you immensely for for all that you've shared today. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for having me. Well, for those interested in learning more about Laura and her work, you can check her out on LinkedIn. And she also has a photography site. You can check that out as well. And uh, and I'll also provide links for her book so you can uh, you know, go look at all of these different things. And all of this will be in the show notes. And uh, again, I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. It goes a long ways as far as, you know, getting this information, this content out to people. Maybe it's somebody that you know who's interested in this line of work. Or maybe, you know, you yourself are interested in it. But uh, yeah, getting it out there, it certainly helps. And you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And one more thing, you can head on over to YouTube. Within the last year or so, I did launch a channel over there uh, where I do host the video portions of the the content. And uh, you kind of take it in a different manner off the top. I will have some imagery associated with the talk. And I mean, if you do go over there, I'm trying to grow that channel out. It's fairly new. It needs a bit of love. So if uh, if you wouldn't mind, hit that subscribe button. Uh, It would definitely help a lot. And finally, don't forget to tune into the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.